Welcome to the live period. I'm your host, Nick Goodwin. And I'm Thomas Villianco with Villianco Hoops. And I'm Brandon Goebel with Juco Advocate and Verbal Commits. All right, guys, welcome back to the Live Period Podcast. Uh, we've got an episode here that I've been talking about doing for a while. I've been talking to a lot of coaches, been talking to our guys, and uh, we are fortunate and blessed today to have our friend Alex Owumi on. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for coming. Um, he uh, he wrote a book called Qaddafi's Point Guard, um, which uh, a lot of you guys listening to this have heard me talk about before. I've tweeted about it a bunch. Um, I think it's an incredibly important book. It's an incredibly important story, especially for our coaches and athletes out there. And uh, so we'll be putting that uh, the information to that into the the link with the <coughs> podcast. And again, we'll be tweeting it out uh, as well. But Alex, thank you so much for uh, for coming today to join us. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so this is this is a, an, an incredibly unique story for those of you that don't know anything about it. Alex uh, is uh, originally from Nigeria and uh, came over uh, to the United States when you were 11, I think, is that yeah. when you came over? So yeah, he's going to kind of talk to us a little bit about, you know, that transition and, and growing up playing and, and things. But as you'll hear uh, throughout this, um, his story is something that uh, is honestly just like difficult to believe when you read it. And because it's just, I've never heard anything like it. Um, and so I think uh, I think everybody that's listening to this will will take something away from this. So, um, Alex, let's just uh, let's just kind of dive right into it. Um, you know, obviously, I've talked about on this podcast here before that I've been to Nigeria. Um, I've run camps over there. Uh, we work with a ton of Nigerian kids. Um, I am I am missing my jollof rice and oh. my brown stew <laughs> all the time. Uh, so I, I made I made Nigerian food for Christmas dinner last Christmas. And, How did it turn out? Uh, it was, for for somebody that has no idea what he's doing, I thought it was I thought it was all right. You know, the food was good. a little uh, a little stiff. <laughs> oh, 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 listen, you'll I, get better at it. Man. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep grinding away on it. But um, maybe if you could just kind of talk to us about your life in 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 Nigeria, and and what that transition was like when you came to the United States. Yeah, well, my life in Nigeria was um, you know had a great time there. You know, I was glad to be. You know, I'm glad to be from a country like that to call myself a Nigerian. But, um, but you know, I was born in Nigeria. And my younger sister, Melissa, who's a year younger than me, was also born there. But my mother is from uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And um, she's like this, you know, Sicilian mixed with um, African-American lady. And um, she met my dad in Cambridge, Mass, when he came over. And um, so, you know, they had my brothers and my older sister. Then they moved to Nigeria, which had had to be like a shell shock for my brothers because they were born in America. But, um, you know, only me and my sister were born there. And, uh, you know, I had a great upbringing in Nigeria. You know, I was blessed with them, with great uh, siblings. You know, my brothers pushed me. They pushed me hard, man. Like, <laughs> like, they pushed me hard. Every day was a fight. You know what I mean? You know how it goes when you have a bunch of siblings. But I come from like an, an unusual type of family. Uh, my dad was one of 67 uh, children. Wait, how, uh, how many? Wait, how many? 67. Wow. Yeah, so he was number 61. Um, and then my grandfather, Joseph Oteri Oumi, was born in like the late 1800s, 1881, um, I believe. And he had 23 wives. 
Um, so back in those days, you know, a lot of times I, I never really told anybody about it because like my family, we're like real personal and private with our information. And obviously when the book came out, like it's something I had to put in there and you know, I had to be real with, with how I came up. And people always ask me, man, that's a lot. But you know, back then, if you, you know, if you had that many wives, you can only have that many if you could take care of that many. So he was, you know, he was rich in land. You know, we still own the land to this day. And he was a very smart man who controlled um, his village in, this, in southern Lagos. Um, so basically I had, you know, 23 grandmothers going up. So, you know, a bunch of uncles, a bunch of cousins, but we all grew up in the same village. My grandfather built the hospitals. He built the churches. Um, he built um, the houses. He built everything. He built the roads. He, um, you know, he... He let people, he taxed the markets that were in the village. So he, oh, we, we literally still own everything in our village. And uh, so everybody knew everybody. <laughs> so that's a, that's the way I grew up. Everybody knew everybody. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't strange that we protected And you knew everybody, them. tell on everybody too. So you better be yeah. They're all watching. <laughs> so, yeah, so we all protected everybody. So it was a close-knit family. Uh, like in the book, when people see the book, there's going to be a picture of me and my siblings uh, were dressed, well, yeah, I'm young, we're dressed in like the same collar shirt and slacks. And we're sitting in front of my um, grandfather's um, gravesite, which is in the middle of our housing village. Um, it's still there. Um, it's like a landmark in our village. Uh, but I had a, you know, it was a very unusual upbringing. You know, back then when I was younger, I, you know, I thought it was normal. <laughs> I just thought it was normal. And then, um, you know, I came, you know, Came to America um, when I was 11 years old, and I, you know, I just was not happy. You know, for that first year, it was rough because all I knew was um, running out, <laughs> running out on gravel, playing basketball on the mill crate, mill cartons. Um, so it was different for me. You know, me and my sister, it, you know, we wanted to go back. You know, we cried, and uh, which kind of resulted uh, to me getting into a lot of fights when I was young, when I first moved to America, because, um, you know, kids and, you know, kids could be in elementary school, middle school, they make these African jokes and, you know, you know, you don't really like it. So, you know, growing up with a bunch of older brothers where, you know, I had to fight every day, you know, it was easy for me just to kind of ball up a fist and hit somebody, you know what I mean? So I got in a lot of trouble early. I got in a lot of trouble early. Um, but I was a different kid. Like, you know, I was a different kid and, you know, I still am different to this day. Um, my grandmother, who was my father's mother, um, she was my grandfather's last wife. Um, she always used to tell me that, I, you know, I was different and I would go, I would go, I would go through a lot of bad things in my life, but I will come, I will come out on a good end. And as a kid, I never knew what that meant um, until, um, things happen with me in Libya. Um, but, you know, it was, it's, it was it was a different umbrella in Nigeria. So, you know, still now when I try to go back, um, I was actually trying to go back this summer, but the whole COVID thing um, kind of halted those plans. But, you know, it's, you know, someplace where I will always cherish. And it's great because I, we, my family, we still help people. We build community centers. We, re, we rebuilt the, um, the hospital I was born in. Um, so we're just trying to add to helping out people. 
And it's amazing that you are going and you and you're doing great work there and helping these kids because there's a lot of there are a lot of talented, not just athletes there, but talented people. Hundred percent. Um, a lot of talented people there. Um, so you know that's just a little bit of how I grew up. I mean, um, all the all the all the Nigerian kids that we deal with, they're always they're always the best students. You know, we've yeah. we've got some exciting news coming up that we'll share later with one of our our kids that some listeners know. Uh, from Nigeria and uh, and came over here and, and played college ball and stuff and you know, he got an engineering degree and and now he's he's using that and and he's going to be able to use that for something else we'll tell everybody about later but like you know it's it's like this the, it's crazy like it's just such unbelievable people like, I mean that's my favorite thing about going over there is meeting the people yeah I don't know how it is now as far as the school there um, but when I was there, when I was a kid, I remember going to school from like 7.30 a.m. to like 5 p.m. I remember being in school all day, like all day. And so when I came to America, and like I would go to school at 7.30 and they'll let us out like one. I was like, like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> like, you know, back then when I grew up in Nigeria, we didn't have, there was no, there was no public television. Public television would come on to like 5 p.m. So literally it was nothing. You could turn on the TV, it's just static the whole day. Like, and then these companies started building these huge satellite dishes. Like, you know, you go to Nigeria, you see the satellite dishes that cover the whole roof. Yeah. yeah. Like back then, if you had one of those, you were rich. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you were like, you know, streaming in ESPN like, from the big one. So back then, if you had one of those, you were rich. And I remember my dad had, had when we had built a new house in the building, my dad had built a huge house. We had two of those. And I remember all my friends from school just used to just pile in. I mean, it was like 30 kids in, the, in, in like the living room, just like, oh my God, it's like stuck at the TV till like nine <laughs> o'clock at night. Like it was the craziest thing, but like that, you know, I don't know how it is now with the school system now, but uh, my mother put in a lot of work as far as the school system because the same school that I told you about that I coach in England, uh, the American school, there's one in um, Lagos also. Mm-hmm. Called AIS America International School. My mom was the principal there when I was in Nigeria. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so, but she didn't let us go to that school because she thought the kids were soft. So we had to. Go to the <laughs> <local school. laughs> she, she did not. She was like, no. She was like, you're not going. And we would have went there for free. You know, they're charging these kids not like 50 grand. Like, you know what I'm saying? These parents are rich, but she's like, you're not going. Yeah. She said, she sends you to the regular school. And, and yeah, yeah. She's like, I'll keep you in She's like, She's like, I'm keeping you in the village. Like, it was crazy because we would go up there and see these, like, nice tennis courts. Like, we would play tennis with the kids. Like, you know, these kids from, like, Basel, Switzerland, and, you know, France. Like, these rich kids. Basketball hoops. And, like, you see their dorm rooms. And like, she was like, you're not going here. <laughs> so I'll <laughs> so send you back to back Alex, to if you go, uh, so you go from milk cartons and, and growing up in a whole different world, and then you get to the United States – what is that transition like to you know from high school to to college or or if that's Man. if that's what you want to take it at or you just want to go straight to college how how was that transition happen for you from from high school to college I yeah because like your high school they they did a documentary on you right like in yeah they did a documentary on me and um well the the whole way the documentary happened they wanted to do like um they wanted to do like another basic basketball. Hey, this is the inner city kid. He's you know he's smart. He has these uh, Ivy League offers because that was my original thing. I just I just wanted to go Ivy League. Like you know that's just because I I looked to the future. I was like, listen, I'm right. I'm very good at football and basketball. Like I'm very good, but 
you know, I might have a four or five year pro career, maybe. Like, you know, you never know what happens. Like, you guys, you guys have got to go read the book and read the yeah. stories that we're not going to have time for here, but stories about yeah. his father <laughs> and like not letting him go play in games or something if he, you know, forgot something or missed something or whatever. Like, yeah, I mean, it's just it, it, this whole part of the book, like the the what makes Alex Alex, like, is just absolutely incredible. I appreciate that. So the, with the documentary, I'm I'm just touch on it real quick. It was like they just wanted to do like another, you know, hey, here's this kid who's building up this um this public school in the inner city. And then I remember my um, high school football coach um, called my mother. His name was his name is John Rice. He actually was like drafted the Celtics and the Patriots in the same year. It was like he was like crazy, like, and um, he basically told me he's like, you know, don't let him do it. Like he was like, don't let him do it because that's not you. He's like, you're just not another kid. Like you're special. He's like, we probably won't see another you for another twenty years after you leave. He's like, and I really mean that. He was like, you know, the school needs it. So you know, my mother. Went to the producer. Was like, hey man, listen, like you know, there's other kids in the school that, are, you know, that are kind of like good at stuff also. So you want to like kind of like you know incorporate other kids and shine a light on the teachers and on the school. And at first they were like, no, we just want to do it this way. So I basically told them, I was like, listen, I'm not gonna do it. And then the next day they was like, okay, we'll try to incorporate some kids. So we kind of like put together the production of the thing, and then they just filmed it, and uh, it ended up winning a daytime Emmy. Like it was crazy. Ended up winning daytime Emmy, and then after I graduated, I think like the 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 governor or somebody saw it, and then they donated uh, uh, fifty million dollars to the school for a brand new renovation. Like they got a brand new library, they got a brand new gym. Like they literally just like got it off the school and just like extended it. But um, that documentary was great. Also, I'm trying to get that. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to get that uh, put back online. So I'm yeah. talking to the production company now, but it was amazing. It was very moving. It was very moving. And uh, but sometimes when I look at myself as a as a high school kid, like a tenth grader, I like cringe. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> 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 I like cringe. Like you know what I mean? But uh, no, I mean it, it. It was great, you know. But I have to give credit to like the people in high school who like molded me. Like not even the coaches, like the teachers. Like, I had some crazy. I had some amazing teachers, man. Like amazing, and for a public school who three years prior didn't have any accreditation. Like, if you graduate from there, like, that didn't even count for, like, a college credit. Like, it was crazy. Um, so, like, the from when from that happened to when I left, it was, like, a whole other world. Like, they literally put in work for that school, and they still do great. You know, they just want a state championship. Um, so, you know, it's on the up and up. But um, so you go – you know, the high school there and, and, and again, guys, the book, the book, the book, I, I can't overstate <laughs> that enough. Like there, there's so many things. I mean, we could literally turn this into a 10 hour podcast with all of just like the inmates, like every single page has something in it where you're just like, geez, you know? Um, so, so through, uh, you know, Alex, Alex, big time football and basketball player and uh, goes to Georgetown uh, coaching changes happen there. Decide junior college is going to be the route. Um, I love Juco. And, and uh, maybe maybe just like, yeah, touch on Juco here real quick before we kind of dive into the, the pro stuff. Because um, yeah, obviously we, we've got – we have a huge following of Juco guys that listen to this. But, like, it wasn't like you went to 
You didn't go to, to Indian Hills. You didn't go to South San Jacinto. Plain. I didn't go to nothing. Yeah, no. no. And I always wanted to go to San Jacinto because Cameron rapped about it. I think he went there. He rapped about it. So <laughs> he, he Jimmy Butler's down there in Tyler. Like, yeah. You go. So, you go yeah. All right. So the whole, the whole Juco thing happened because um, when I was at Georgetown, I was a little, I was depressed. Like, I, you know, flat out. You know, I was I was in a rough state. And then my best friend, who actually I talked to probably three times a day, who was I was just on FaceTime with before I said, I said, I gotta go run through this podcast. Aleem Lopes, he had told me, you know, he was that one friend I could find everything in. He was at Hampton University playing Division One basketball. And then he had to leave doing some circumstances. So I'm just talking to him, I'm like, man, well, you know, when are you gonna go to school? And he said, Community College in Rhode Island. So I was like, man, like Rhode Island. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know I'm from Boston, but I never really hung out in Rhode Island. And I had Tony Strap. I was like, yo, listen, I'm at the UPS store right now, packing up all my stuff, shipping it back home. I haven't told my parents I'm leaving college. <laughs> like, I hadn't told, <laughs> like, I was just packing up. I remember, like, it was like $300 cash. I had to sell, like, five boxes. I kept sending them. While I was telling my teammates and my friends on campus at Georgetown, like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm just going. I'll be back for, like, a month. You know, I just lied to them. <laughs> Like, you know what I'm saying? So I didn't have to explain to 20, 30 people. Um, you know, so I made the decision to leave. And then he goes, oh, yo, I'm going to call the coach. You can just come to, uh, to school with me. Like, you know. And I was like, yo, is it free? Like, because I'm not paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, he's like, man, he's like, for you? He's like, they might end up giving you money. <laughs> so I said, I said, yeah, listen, call him. I hung up the phone. I had team over sidekick. I said, "Yo, what's up?" <laughs> you know, call him. Um, and I'm like, let's see. Literally, like 30 minutes later, I'm heading back to my dorm. I had a flight at like 7 p.m. DC to Boston. And he goes, "Yo, the coach want to talk to you." So I called him like in a taxi ride to Dallas Airport. And he goes, "Yeah, Alex, Coach Dave Chevalier. He lives in uh, West Palm Beach now." He goes, "Hey, Alex, is it?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Yeah, I heard you uh, were leaving Georgetown. Why?" And I'm like, to be honest with you, I'm leaving. It's nothing criminal. It's nothing crazy. I didn't even get kicked out. I just decided to leave. It's a long, it's a long story, and I could probably um, talk to you about it, you know, at another time. They said, well, we got a scholarship for you. <laughs> it's, just like that. <laughs> wow. it's just like that. I so remember I said, reading that book, thinking, especially with what I do now, with working yeah. all these kids and with working all these schools, going. What is this guy doing? <laughs> I get that all the time. I was like, what was <laughs> you know, doing? I get that all the time. Because it was like, it was like easily, Carl Hobbs is up the road to George Washington. And Carl yeah. Hobbs, you know, he's a Cambridge guy. So he knows, Carl knows my whole family. Like I was hanging out with Carl on the weekends when I was at Georgetown, um, eating in his, you know, his nice little house over there. So he had told me, he's like, if you want to transfer, I got a spot for you. This is when they had Pops Mansabansu. I mean, they were stacked. I mean, they were stacked. So I was like, you know what, I'll give it a thought. And then I was like, you know what? I kind of just want to like, kind of like pave my own way, mm. try to do it another route. And uh, people looking at me crazy, like, I don't know what's wrong with this guy. So, you know, long story short, two days later, my best friend comes up, he's like, yeah, we're going to um, Community College in Rhode Island, which is in Warwick, Rhode Island. So it was like a 50 minute drive from Boston. We hopped in this, um, in this uh, Mitsubishi Montero, his parents did it. We went up there to see the coach. I signed a scholarship and they didn't even have dorms. Like we had to pay, f like, you know, the dorms, like you had to, we had to live, live in these hotel suites. So then, you know, they, they footed the bill on that. But when I got there, when I got to Juco, but the crazy thing was like, he had 
So we had two kids from Bridgeport, Connecticut. We had two kids from Baltimore. Um, we had two kids from uh, Waterbury, Connecticut, and two kids from Boston. And I'm not gonna lie, God had to put this team together <laughs> because <laughs> this guy, these players just fell in this guy's lap. I mean, I never seen a bunch of players so hungry in my life. And I don't know what it is. Every day, the reason the reason why I love Juco. Every day, every practice, every pickup before the season started, every pickup after the season started. These dudes were trying to go at my neck every day. And it was like, there was no way for me to back down because they looked at, oh, this is the high division one guy. If I could, you know what I'm saying? Because all the coaches are coming to the games to see him, I'm coming to the practice. And if they could see, I could buzz his ass. And I got a chance to get a scholarship. And I don't, I never fault him because these kids are coming from every city, like, you know, single parent homes. Like, they're just trying to get a free education. Like, they didn't pass the SAT. Like, I, you know, I almost, I left the SAT early and I still got a little behind. Like, you know, <laughs> like these kids, like, you know what I'm saying? These kids were struggling. So it was like, I had to respect that. Yeah. Um, Juco was a little bit rough though. It was, it was rough. It was rough. I mean, it was like the Wild Wild West. There was no time limits on practice. Whereas the NCAA, you know, you get two hours and 30 minutes and, you know, you can't, you know, Juco, we play a game. Coach didn't really like the the way we played or he didn't like the way we played in the, in the second half of the game. So we had to practice right after the game. So it's like, I ended up playing 40 minutes and I got to practice another hour. So it's like, it was like really no holds ball. And, uh, you know, and I didn't really appreciate Juco until I left. Like, I'm talking about like when I was like my sixth or seventh year in college, because I started meeting other Juco kids overseas. They're like, like, yeah, I went to, I went to Indian Hills. <laughs> I went to, you know, I went to Iowa Central. <laughs> I went to this one. I went to Chipola. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it was like, I was like, man, like all these Juco kids, like these inner city kids or whatever it was. Like these dudes really grinded through that hell and then came and made away from themselves and now making money playing ball. Mm, yeah. So it was like, I wasn't really looking at the high D1 kids. Like, I wasn't like, oh yeah, you went to Kentucky, you went to NC State. I was like, yo, this is like, I was like, I, was like, I relate more my man right here that went to Juco. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, because yeah. I remember Juco, we had to eat Taco Bell before before practice. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like we had to walk, I mean, I was in Walk, Rhode Island. You know, at the time I didn't have a car, so I had to stand at the bus stop and like, snowstorms like I had to get to class because you still got to make your grades like you still had to make your grades and you know I was determined because I had a path I wanted to take and um, I know every high division one coach that was recruiting me um I was like man I'm gonna give myself an edge I'm just gonna be a, I'm gonna always be a great student even though I'm a great basketball player so they could say so they they can't just say well you know he was a juke all American but you know they only had a 2.9 or, you know, whatever it is. Like, yeah, I just didn't want them to have any excuse for them not to recruit me anymore if they work. And I didn't care. All I wanted to do was go to school for free. And, you know, that's all I did. Right. Well, and so your story, your story then transitions from, from being a Juco guy, uh, you know, playing in the national tournament, all that sort of thing. You're recruiting. And I'm going to let, I'm going to let the guys, you, you got to go read this book to, to read the stories about how Alex winds up at Alcorn State because for what Alex <laughs> produced in junior college like doesn't compute right like it just nothing against Alcorn but like it 
just, you know, I know you had bigger recruitment than that, significantly yeah. bigger recruitment than that. You had a lot of phone calls. So I want everybody to go read this book and I want you to read about uh, how Alex wound up at Alcorn and, and made the, the most of um, a really tough situation, but for something, again, like he said earlier, like forging his own path. And I think that's something that you'll recognize throughout the course of this book. Like this book is about Alex, but this book is also about the people around him. Yeah. his family and his friends and how important those things are. And, you know, if karma is a thing, how, how, how that came back to him in times of need for him. And, and so you guys have got to go read that. Um, so Alex goes to, uh, goes to Alcorn and becomes a pro, like a pro pro and, and making money and, and playing ball and goes to Macedonia on a, on a killer contract the Macedonia is a crazy place in the first place. And you guys will read some amazing shit about, <laughs> about the, you know, just things like racism and, and stuff like that yeah. and, and turmoil in Macedonia. And this is, this is, I, I wanted to, to fast forward here because I really want people to just hear some of this story in Alex's voice uh, about getting to Libya and, and some of the young guys that are, that are reading this, maybe if you're not, um, or uh, listening to this, if you're not as uh, well versed on international politics and the world and whatnot, stop this podcast right now. Go look up the Libyan War in 2011. Mm-hmm. Get an idea of what Alex is about to talk about, and uh, and come back to us here because this uh, this is something that uh, you know. Like I said, when I read this book the first time, I, I every every page I'm, I'm I was actually on the plane reading it. I, where was I going? I was going to Rhode Island. And uh, I was going to see I was going to see Atiki Ali Atiki from our Tanzania camp. Oh man! And, uh, and I was on my way to Rhode Island, and I'm reading this book, and it's late. I'm on like a like a like a red eye flight, and I got that light on. This dude next to me wants to kill me because I got this light on. And it's like you know, one in the morning, and I'm like, me alone. I'm reading, uh, and especially because I'm at I'm at this part of the book uh, when you get to to Libya. So let's just let's just dive in there. You show up day one in Benghazi. Yes, I showed up day one in Benghazi, and it was, you know, it was a shell shock. I tell people <laughs> all the time, like, we just landed, you know, the, you know, the plane is just, like, going down. It's, like, in the, in the scent. So it was, like, I don't see any runways. I'm, like, hold on, where are they about to land this plane? <laughs> and it's, like, and then as it began lower and lower, it's, like, I could just see like a small like building and a dirt track. So I landed on a dirt track. And it was one of those things where you land on a dirt track, you got off the plane, and basically you just took out your luggage and you just had to go get your own luggage and wheel it in. It was literally that it was literally that crazy. They get in there, get the customs, and you see you know, it gets kind of uncomfortable because you see all these military, they have all these AK forty sevens, they've really got these real stern looks on their face. I'm like, man, what the hell? So I'm like, okay, you know, this is just the airport, right? <laughs> you know, just the airport, you know, things would be all right. You know, I'm just get through this little 20 minute piece. Um, you know, I get in the airport and, you know, these soldiers are looking at me kind of crazy and I'm kind of scared. And one of them grabs me and automatically he already knew my name. Um, takes me through customs. Um, and on the other side of the building, which I didn't see, but like all these people and like, green t-shirts, Nasser uh, scarves, hats, 
And there was almost like 30 or 40 fans just came there to greet me. And then this little guy comes out of nowhere who ends up being our team president. And, you know, he's introduced himself, Mr. Ahmed. And um, I was like, okay, cool. But in my mind, I'm like, yeah, you know, get me to where I'm supposed to be. Like, I know this is like, you know, some place you go to these, going to these airports and the world place you got to go is like 45 minutes away. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I'm yeah. So he takes me through these, uh, through the desert. So I'm like, oh, you know. You know, it's a nice, it's the desert, you know. Then we're getting like, then we pull up to this like city. So I'm like, okay, you know, maybe we just got to go through here to get to where we got to go. And then we keep going, like, we keep taking lefts, taking rights, like, do like the inner part of the city. And then we just stop at the street. And it's just like, I mean, run down. I mean, there's potholes everywhere. There's straight cats walking, kids in the street kicking a soccer ball and yelling. And then uh, we get out and then look at this building. And I'm just like, man, like, he's like, yeah, this is, I'm thinking, oh, I'm just going to stay here for a day. He's like, you yeah, know, this is where you, this is where you live. And like, I'm just like, oh my God. I just literally left Macedonia. I literally just went back to America. <laughs> we took my chances. I went to another country. You know what I mean? So good. You know, we end up going upstairs. We get in this elevator. Elevator has no door. It's literally, it's like every floor you're going up, it's just like you can see the other floor. You see another a family, and you see a little girl. And you I see think two that's against boys. code. Yeah, like it's so like, every time you go, I'm like sticking my hand out, trying to pull it back in, playing around. So I'm like, this is bad. So we go all the way to the top floor, um, get out the elevator, and then, you know, we kind of take a left. And then, you know, I meet the, uh, like the landlord of the building, and then uh, take another sharp left, and I see like a steel door. So I'm like, like, man, this is crazy. I'm like, they're about to put me in a dump. There might be one bed in here and a, and a bucket, <laughs> you know? So we, you know, end up opening this door, and this door was heavy, man. I remember, like, he had to pry it open with two hands like this, open the door, and go through the door. It's like this cloth, like a cloth, and then open the cloth, and you go in there. And it was just like a beautiful, I mean, it was like, it was like when you go to Vegas, and you stay, like, you know, like, at the Palms in that suite. <laughs> like people pay like five thousand a night for, and I'm just like, man, what? The <laughs> and he's looking at me laughing. He's like, hey, I know what'll get you, and I'm like, what? The? I'm like, what is this? He's like, oh yeah, this is where you stand. Well, this is where I'm staying for the next nine months. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like, I was like, I can't wait to call my mother. I was like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. So you know, then to be a long story short, I found out that the apartment I stayed in was belonged to Muammar Gaddafi's son, Mutasim Gaddafi who was in charge of the third brigade, which is like the the army out there, but like the guys who do the dirt. Yeah. Um, so this is like one of his like little flats he had ducked off throughout the whole country. But I mean, it was beautiful. I mean, it was like uh, couches with gold trim, fine china, you know, it was like big screen TVs. It was like four rooms, three living rooms, like four bathrooms. I was like, this is like a little bit too much house for me. So it was like, I mean, it would get to some weeks where I wouldn't have, I hadn't been in the other side of the house. That's how big the place was. Hey, Alex, real quick before, for, for all those guys listening that want to be pro basketball players, especially overseas, like he, he, he's talking how he landed. It's just him. Like some of you guys are like, oh, I had my boys and I had my, my, my agent and I had this guy. It was just him. No. And he's walking no. by because this, I wasn't in Libya. But there was times where I landed, I'm like, uh, what's yeah. about to happen? Like he was saying, he was driving into the, you know, to the desert. There were times when I was in Italy and in part, I'm like, 
where are we going? And they, they're speaking to me in Italian. I don't know what they're talking about. I'm like, okay, I don't know what's about to happen. My mom and dad don't know where I am. My phone doesn't work. Um, exactly. I don't know what's going to happen. So all of you guys listening, they're like, man, this sounds like the craziest thing ever. Like I bet no one ever had to go. Th- a lot of people go through that and that's what's going to make a you tougher, lot. man. And that's what, and for those of you guys listening that think you're going to pull that cloth aside and you're going to have this four bedroom, whatever, <laughs> 10,000 square right. foot joint. That's not how this goes. No, okay? not at all. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. iTunes ratings and reviews are also extremely helpful. Your support is what helps us move the needle and keep this thing going. We love and appreciate all of you. Now, back to the show. I mean, it was literally like a, it was like a two, three million dollar flat from what wow. they told me. I mean, I, I, it was probably more than that. I think they were kind of undervalued. But like, when I saw the couches and I knocked on the edge of the couch because I was like, oh, this, this is gold-plated. I thought it was like gold-plated. It was like literally solid. Gold. I remember trying to lift it up, and I was like, whoa. Like my hamstring just like locked up. And I was like, what the? I was like, how did they get this up here with this elevator? <laughs> That's why it doesn't have a like, door, man. <laughs> but, they had like, but they had like four of them. I mean, it, the place was so big, I literally was like, oh, I haven't been to that side in two weeks. Let me just go over there and try to, try to dust like, you know what I'm saying? But I was just like, I had two kitchens. I was like, what the hell is, it? is this like? So, you know, but long story short, like he was saying, um, you know, a lot of these living situations in Europe are very, very sketchy, right? You get off the plane by yourself. Um, back when we were playing, you know, when I first came in, you know, I really kind of, you know, like your mother said, hey, man, text me when you get in. That might not be for like another five hours. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you might, like, you know, you might, there's no service. Your phone is not working. Like, you might not talk to your parents or your brother, or your girlfriend, your wife for like another five to six hours. So, cause you, like, you literally, you were people that don't speak the same language as you. And the people that are representing, representatives of the team, the people that come get you from the airport, they're nice people, right? They're very nice people, right? But still, you're in the unknown. Yeah. Like, and this happened to every country I was in. Like, you got to say, like, you're going to be on one-year contracts. <laughs> like, you're going to be in no countries all the time. But as, as time goes on, if you have a long career, you'll get used to it, right? So, but for me, going into this situation in the, in North Africa, in the Middle East, a country where I thought I would never play. I was like, yeah, listen, I'm going to be in Europe my whole life. I want to play five or six years in Europe. And then I want to move on my life. So I ended up in North Africa. And, you know, it was kind of scary. It was kind of scary. Even, like, being in an apartment all the time and then having to go outside and see, like, there was, like, no Applebee's, no Chili's. Think places that basketball players go, and let me just grab a 10-piece wing with some fries. You couldn't do it. Like, there was no cinemas. Like, you know, I'm a movie guy. So it was like, you know, I took pride in going to the movies by myself overseas all the time or with, or with the teammates. Like, so there was none of this. So I'm literally just in the desert. <laughs> like, eat, like yeah. you know, my take out is street food. <laughs> like, I, I got to go pick up a kebab here. Pick a kebab <laughs> there. <laughs> like, this is what I had to deal with when I was in Libya. You know, I know I know from, from reading the book there that, that it probably, it didn't take you very long to realize something was up, right? That as far as, yeah, I remember a story in there about like, when you got there, Al-Nassar had, had lost a few games or something. Yeah. And you saw bruises and and stuff like on your teammates, you know, the, the Libyan players that like what security or something had, you know, these guys are losing games. 
Yeah. Like security, team managers. And be honest with you, it was like some of like the older players also who would enforce this. And I get it. Like as an older player and, and as a veteran, and if somebody as somebody who was played on a team, like you're a local guy, so like you were born into this team. You started yeah. as a fan. Like you were a fan of the soccer and basketball, so you lived this. Then you're not used to losing because they kind of – it's kind of catered to the team, to their team to win because – Every team got government funding. I mean, they got funded. Yeah. When you add in the extra money that the Gaddafi family gave them because that was like their home club. Damn. I mean, they damn they, they gave the team the, the country colors. Like, that's how much they <laughs> looked there. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So they were not meant to lose. I mean, the mm. bonuses were crazy. So I get it. As a vet, you don't want to lose. Things happen. You might shove a guy here and there. But these were like bruises. Yeah, I mean, really? it was like they took somebody to a closet and wow. tuned them up for like 15, 20 seconds. Where oh, were most kid. of the players from, Alex? Most of the, so we had, so our team, we had, my friend Mustafa was from Senegal. So you get two African, you get two imports with African passports, right? So let's say like a guy was, he's American, but like his dad is African and he could get a passport, he'd go there and play. So Mustafa was from Senegal, I was from Nigerian. Um, but we had like four or five players from Benghazi. Then we had, then they recruited like four players who were like very good Libyan players for the national team who were like from three or four hours away. So Mirage, Tripoli, which was the capital, Sert, which was Muammar Gaddafi, where he was born, like where his family's from, his hometown. So, and then they'll, you know, they were like those three play, very good Libyan players. Mm. To mix them in with these two good imports, then you got your local Benghazi guys. So we had two big men, um, Aziz and uh, Ashraf, who were like 6'10", rim protectors, skilled guys, also played on the national team. So, you know, they basically played, they, they pay players. They pay players the most, right? Them and uh, the other mm. Ali Benghazi team, uh, you know, they had two big budgets. But the players were talented. I mean, they were talented. And this is this kind of opened my eyes because I was in Europe where the players were always skilled. Mm-hmm. Great bounce passes, pick and rolls. They throwing the ball over the head and you put it, put it around in your shop. Like, when I got, to, I got to the Middle East, I was like, hold on, these dudes are like super athletic. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like baseline, throwing it down. Like, I'm talking about like Muslim dudes. Like, so I was like, I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is crazy. Then we had, you know, my the other import, Mustafa, who was 6'10". Mustafa had started out with, like, Rowan in France, like, at age 14. So I'm thinking, like, Dallas Mavericks drafted him. I think, like, they drafted him, like, the second round. They had his rights forever. But, like, he was, I mean, he was just a freakish athlete. I mean, he was literally handling the ball at 6'10", dunking, hitting NBA threes. So it's like they paid for these players. Yeah. Um, and then when you, you know, when you lose two or three in a row, things get heated and it kind of got bad. Um, Alex, what kind of money uh, for people that don't understand that we, I always try so, to tell people like, whew. what do you, what were you, what are you saying for that? Obviously this season got <laughs> thrown off course a little bit as you'll talk about, but <laughs> like what, what kind of money was be thrown, being thrown around? So they were starting at, well, the last import that was there before me, he was at 10, 10, 10 K a month. And, th- and this, this season went from, the end of August, and they went all the way till July 5th. That was my contract, July 5th. Then when I came, uh, my agent, Goran, who was just an amazing agent, he was like, yo, he wants 15. 
So off the rip, they gave me 15. It was like, so I was like, but when I got off the plane, they put five in my hand, five grand in my hand. Mm. Like, yo, wow. then they gave me another 500, which came up to be like 1,200 Libyan dinar. That was just for food. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you really not spend anything. So it was like, I was like. Yeah, and food costs nothing too. Yeah, I was like, yeah, food costs nothing. So it was like, so they took care of the place. I had my own driver. Um, and then I was in a, I was in a spot where I was like to be next to the gym. I don't like to travel too far, so I was like right next to our main gym and our club facility where the soccer team is, and um, so everything was like a half a mile walking distance for me just to get to the gym to the stadium. Um, but other places were like further out. They like to like drive and you know hang out on the outside, but I wanted to be in the mix, and uh, you know ends up. Me being in the mix didn't end up with, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, that wasn't a good decision on my. But you know, the, the money, like going back to the money, the money was the money was great, right? The money was great. I think I had I I was there. I got to like the end of December, and um, you know, the money was great. So but by the time like January came, and like I was like, oh man, like I really like my teammates. Like I found out, like these dudes. We're gonna be playing here for a long time. So I was like, man, I could probably be here for a little while. I like, you know, scratching your chin. I was like, I could probably make a good living here. Like, and then when they have breaks, they have like two week breaks. So it's like you can just like kind of like go to Europe for a week, have one of your family members meet you, or like maybe if you want to go home. Then we were like forty minutes from Malta on the ferry, and Malta is amazing. So it's like you're yeah. here. Then Italy's like fifty minutes away on the ferry. It's like if if you see the map, it's like really literally like right there. Yeah. So I was like, damn, I was like, I could probably make a little living. So, you know, I went to the um, team president. I said, man, like, you know, I was like, what are y'all thinking? I was like, you know, I'll, I'll come back next year. Like, I, yeah. I had been there a month already. <laughs> so this is January. This is, this you is got January. there at the end of December. In I January, you're sitting there going, I think I might, I think I might want to be here for a minute. You know, yeah. what are you guys thinking? And, and I know you talked about starting to see just little, little flashes of the revolution. Like there might yeah, be so, protests. There might be yeah. like, you're like, well, well, that's interesting. Why does that guy have 15 guns in the back of his truck right now? Where's he going? That's <laughs> weird. Crazy. And then yeah. February 17th comes. February 17th comes. And, you know, from the end of December all the way up to February 17th, December started in Tunisia. They overthrew the government or the president resigned um, because there were riots. Then it went, they like kind of skipped Libya and went to Egypt. And uh, our our head coach, assistant coach, strength training, doctor, they were all from Cairo. So they were all, the head coach basically brought his old staff. And um, I remember like playing games, like, I remember our head coach got thrown out of two games in a row. He was just on edge because as everything was going on in Cairo, his family, like, and then they weren't letting people back into Egypt. Like, he was just on edge. He was like, I remember practices were so hard. He was screaming at me like he had never done that before. Mm. But, you know, was, I've been screaming at my budget coach, so I didn't really <laughs> understand it. But my teammates were like, hey, man, what's going on? Like, kind of knew, like, I'm like, oh, that's just normal to me where I'm from. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I've been screaming at since middle school. But um, I could tell that they were in a whole other place. And then... You know, me being, you know, being me being naive, I'm an American kid. And the whole time I'm like, listen, this is not my fight. You know, it was kind of messed up to think about it like that at that time. 
But I was like on some, like, you know, you know, this is not my fight. You know, as long as it don't get to Libya, I'm good. You know, it was kind of selfish, you know. I look at line, look back at it, but, you know, I ended up getting there. Um, I remember Valentine's Day came and um, my girlfriend at the time was like, man, this kid, man, I'm watching the news. It's going crazy. And now, you know how I feel about the news. I don't believe in that long news. So I'm like, no, we're going to be high. It's not going to happen here. It's not going to happen here. Then the next day, my brother called. He was like, yo, they talking about February 17th. Something's about to pop off. <laughs> he's like, this, by this head is about to get bad. So I'm like, yo, Joe, I'm good. He's like, I'm in the fortress. I got the, I got the bank vault covering me. <laughs> like, I'm good. <laughs> and then um, I remember the next day, February 16th, I was supposed to do like my weekly shop. You know, you got to get everything. You know how it is overseas. You got to get everything fresh. You got to go to the markets. Oh, yeah. So I was like, there was like a little protest around. And there was like a little protest for like 20, 30 people, like, coming down my streets like 30 people 30 people kept coming so i was like damn i don't want to go to the market with all this ruckus so i didn't go to the market that day so i said you know what i'm gonna go tomorrow man and then i remember we had practice that morning we had early practice conditioning i was not looking forward to that and um my driver i I would usually get up i forgot to set my alarm but even though I didn't set my alarm, my driver would call. I had the small Nokia phone. I still have that phone. I kept it. And the, I would put the phone right by my bed, and it'll go off. So in case it go off and I'm late, brush my teeth, wet my face, you know, put your shoes on. He never called. But I had got up, and I was like, hold on. What's going on? So I called my head coach, and I said, hey, um, coach, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I didn't get a call. Oh, I was slept. And he was like, what? <laughs> like Basically, like, what are you talking about? He's like, have you looked outside? And I'm like, oh, no. He's like, man, it's like, he's like, it's crazy outside. He's like, nothing, like everything is canceled right now. So I was like, okay, let me try to get a better view. So I, you know, march up to my rooftop. Um, and I look and I see like, instead of like 30 people, I see like hundreds now. So I'm like, yo, what the hell? <laughs> What's going on here? So I see like almost 100 people. And they're like marching down my main road. It was like the main road, but the only view I could get was if I was on the rooftop. And I look left and I see like these military personnel. And I'm like, knowing the military that I know that always at the games, because they are security for the games, these are nice people. Like, um, but I see like a different military personnel, like different clothing. So I'm like, man, what is going on? And these two groups of people are just coming. <laughs> like it was like a head-on collision. Then like they stopped, and then uh, a guy gets on a, a loud, a loud um, speaker, and he's just talking to Arab. And then I see a guy literally just hop on the back of the jeep, <clears throat> and um, he gets behind the big machine gun, and he just starts letting off in the crowd. I mean, it was like I remember. I always remember I had a bottle of water. And I remember the water just like, I had the water so tight, but it still just slipped out of my hand in slow motion. I remember just dropping to the corner of the building and all I could hear was like gunshots, but I could hear like shells just dropping. Like just dropping. And um, I remember it was like a scatter. Like people were just like trying to run obviously the opposite way, but they were like kind of running over each other. So it was like a free for all. 
And I remember just laying down and I remember peeking up, peeking my head up on the corner of the building. I kind of like pulled myself up and the guy wouldn't stop. He wouldn't stop. And I was just like, man, like, and literally, I'm like, like, what flashed back to me was like me in high school. Like, you know, when they say like your life flashes before your eyes, I literally like went back to freshman year high school that quick. I remember walking into my high school, like it literally happened that quick. And I was just like, and then I flashed back and I was like, man, like, this is what it's come to. Like, <laughs> like I love basketball this much that I will end up here. Like it will bring me here. And, you know, that was what I was questioning from that, you know, it was just a ruckus, people screaming. And I remember I didn't look, I didn't take another look because I didn't want to see the aftermath of what happened. So I literally just like ran downstairs. Uh, I grabbed my phone. I tried to dial um, my coach. Phone didn't go through Caulfield. I remember I had to hook up internet. You plug in the USB. And that's how I got my internet every month. I plugged it in, no internet, um, nothing. So I was trying to call my mother, you know, then I was trying to, I was using the phone all the time. And I mean, I was shaking, I was shaking. Um, and, you know, and then, you know, it just happened so quick, man. It happened so quick. And, you know, again, you know, I've been playing basketball my whole life, you know, I was, you know, I was a very good football player, but the reason why I started playing basketball, I wanted to pursue basketball in college because I was the type of kid that if somebody said that I wouldn't be as good as something, at something that I, at something else, that I would try to prove them wrong. And, you know, I started doubting myself for like a long time. And that was the beginning of doubts for years. And I was just like, man, like, you know, out of everything that I've done, what, did I do to piss God off for him to put me in this situation? Like, you know, you start thinking like down yourself, like, man, all I want to do is play basketball. <laughs> like, that's all I want to do is play basketball. And, you know, it really got to that point. And I remember for like another hour, all I could hear was gunshots and people crying, screaming, crying, screaming, crying, screaming, crying. And I was like, I just couldn't take it. I just couldn't take it anymore. I'm just gonna take it. I was angry. I was scared. And, you know, I went into that state of, well, it's not my fight. I'm protected where I am. And I'm gonna let this ride out. You know, and I'm 36 now. Um, I was 26 at the time, you know, whatever my 27th birthday in May. And as a, you know, 26 years old, you're not really thinking, um, you, you think it's selfish. Right, especially when you're in another country that has nothing to do with you, it's not your fight. It's not that I didn't care about the the people who were dying. I my priority at that time was like, I need to figure out how I came to this. So instead of me worrying about those other lives, which I should have been doing, I was worrying about myself. And that's something that still like kind of hurts me to this day, especially with everything going on now. Um, that I felt like. I wasn't really, I didn't really understand the people there and what they were going through at the time. Because like months leading up to that, there were rumors that my teammates were telling me that something was gonna happen and I never paid attention. Um, all they were fighting for was just like basic rights, man. Small business loans, cheaper food, <laughs> better schools. Um, I mean, simple things. And 
you know, that's what it came to, you know, and people really gave their lives for that, like gave their lives for that. And, um, you know, some of the things that I witnessed were just like horrific, horrific. And I still have problems with it to this day, um, but it's part of me, you know, it's part of me. I can't shake it. And um, at some point I don't want to shake it because, you know, it makes me stronger and it's therapeutic to talk about it and talk about my, and, t- and tell people my story. Um, but, you know, you know, that's how it started, man. You know, that's how it started. That was the beginning of a deep, deep, dark place for years, like years. Um, just literally that, I would might call it 20 seconds of just gunfire, of just flat out gunfire. Um, and I could just remember, I remember just peeking over and just like seeing the women of the community going outside and like pulling in their loved ones that were dead. And that was like the most frightening and sad thing I've ever seen in my life. I was like, you know, that's when I said, you know, I'm not going to make it out of here. It's not going to happen. Um, you know, yeah. You and, know. and you, Alex, <laughs> you, I, I, just looking at Nick and Brandon, I, I, just hearing that, it's, I don't know, man. It's uh, for for you to it's just hard, to, man. for you to it's even hard. for it's you hard. to even tell that we can tell that it's still so relevant and so hard for you to do. Um, and I think it's, I can't, I think I can't it's imagine too that people heard. I think it's important for for people to hear your voice on that, and and that was, you know, your book. Your book meant so much to me. Reading Thank it, you. which doesn't seem like it should make a lot of sense. Like I come, like we, we come from very different backgrounds, you know, we, we uh, live very different lives and your book probably meant more to me than any book that I have ever read. And, and it, uh, so to, to hear, to hear that from your voice, I think when people read this book and, and having heard that, like, like hearing what, um, you know, people think about, you know, what, what you think about, what, um, you know, trauma sounds like and what, um, you know, goes on because everybody that's going to be hearing this has some sort of story, right? Everybody yeah. has some sort of, of thing in their life that they've had to deal with and, and your, your story and your ability to overcome it, um, is so incredibly important. I mean, you know, we'll, as guys read this book, like, you know, hearing things like that, like this is not, you know, this is not isolated. Like there, there are more things that, um, uh, that you went through and, and, uh, you know, are, are so blessed and fortunate to be here today with us and, you know, for all the things that you went through. And I know I can hear in your voice, just like how, um, you know, grateful you are that, that you're able to actually tell these stories. Right. Yeah. I mean, this was, this was, this was something else. Um, I want, I, you know what, here, here's what I'd like to do. And, and I want to, I want to set up another time down the road um, for us to get back together and, and talk on the show. You know, I'm when the world comes back to some semblance of order here, uh, I'm going to find my way out to you and, and uh, want to meet you and, and thank you personally for writing this book. Um, and, and we can talk about how we can do some work together to, to of course. a lot of the things that, that I know are important to you and how we can help and whatnot. Um, 
tell us, uh, you know, t- tell us, tell us what you have going on now. Tell us what, uh, what you're getting into everybody that, that is hearing this. I'm again, you gotta go read the book. You're going to, <laughs> you're an incredible journey that, that just, you know, an hour long podcast just can't do justice for. And I'm, and I'm glad yeah. you've gotten to hear Alex's voice tell that story because now when you read that book, you're going to hear Alex uh, as you read this book. And I think I'm going to go back and read it again uh, because I think it, it changes how you perceive this book. Um, So tell tell us what you got going now. What's uh, what what are you up to these days? Well, you know, we, um, sorry, I went into it, you know, every time I tell that story, I go into like that deep, uh, you know, I, basically just relive it again. And it's, it's, you know, it's not a problem. You know, it's not a problem. Um, it's therapeutic. Uh, but, you know, as far as what I got going on now, um, I signed a feature uh, feature film contract for the book. Um, we were supposed to go into, I signed it with Hidden Empire, Hidden Empire Film Group, Deion Taylor. He was also a former basketball player. Played in Germany years back. Um, you know, he's done a lot of um, nice budget Hollywood films. Um, in the last couple of years, but uh, we were supposed to go into shooting in November, uh, but you know, Corona pushed that back a couple of months. So we're looking at the early 2021, um, probably going to shoot it somewhere in, um, obviously in North Africa. Let me so guess, Morocco? Morocco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Morocco, Morocco knows how to get that film money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, you know, I don't want to say it, but since she said it, I talked to the, I was talking to one of the film financiers. He's like, yeah, we can make a $10 million movie look like a $50 million movie here. So I said, you know what? Okay. That's how Morocco rolls, man. <laughs> yeah, they, were, they weren't playing around. But um, I was, you know, that's what I was supposed to go shoot, uh, scout some locations there in July. So that was supposed to be my trip, Morocco to Nigeria. Um, you know, North Africa is amazing. If you haven't, some of you guys haven't hung out there, amazing, man. Food's amazing, people are great. So we're working on it now. Um, we're sitting down uh, with the script, um, trying, to, trying to figure out the actor and actor and actors and the times, um, what that's going on. But what that's going on, you know, I have my own book publishing, um, company that I started in 2016 when I was living in London while I was still playing um, called Nerd House, Nerd House Publishing. Um, we publish a variety of books, but I'm trying to move more into the self-help space as far as the, with the authors that I'm bringing on to the publishing company. Um, I'm very hands-on with the authors. Um, so that's going to be rolling for a very long time. Then we have a media side. So the media side will be also producers on the film. So I incorporated that whole thing. Um, I'm part owner of the team, my word and done, the team I just played for the last two years. Nice. Um, so I became part owner of the team. Um, so that helps me. I always wanted to be an owner. I wanted to always be in the front office. Never wanted to be a coach. Like, you know, I mean, <laughs> only kids. Like the only, I like to coach kids because yeah, I, I would do it for free and I just love it. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's, those are the only grades I would coach. Middle school, my coach high school, maybe JV, but. I can't do varsity because <laughs> you know, no disrespect, like you know those kids. You hear that guy's like this. Kids. This dude made it through the war in Libya, and he doesn't want to deal with you varsity high school. <laughs> but I love my middle. I love my middle school kids because you can kind of mold them. You can kind of like develop their game into what they, it really should be. Um, so, like, I'm still volunteering with coaching. You know, I love doing that. Um, yeah. So 
part owner of the Worthington Thunder. Um, we're trying to see when the season is going to start back over. We got to wait on government guidance um, coming up, maybe a month. But the season won't start on time, so we're looking at November start. Um, but um, one of the main things that I would like to talk to you also is that because we, you know, we have a juniors program, mm-hmm. so we we would love, you know, try to set some up as far as like running camps. You come in, you know, because we have we we have a huge junior program. I think we have. Um, two under under 12s we have under 14s we have under 16s and the under 18s and um we also have all more the thunder that played last year he plays on the men's on the professional side but he's a high school kid cam hildreth he's the best player in england like six five point guard i mean he's just he came up through our junior programs but he oh, plays okay. on the men's side and he's actually our second leading scorer this year wow. like i mean he does a real deal i mean he's he um, he went to play in the Adidas Nations Cup in Europe and just tore yep. Barcelona. Yep. I watched him. I mean, he tore him up. I mean, he was the leading scorer. Wow. Um, but he will play next year because it's last year in high school. Um, but we got a lot going on, man. We got a lot going on. But, like, you know, the movie and um, the ownership thing right now, I'm really going hard on because we have to develop um, our program, which has been there forever. Um, I claim the fame as Nick Nurse was one of our first coaches. <laughs> that was like his first coaching job when he got to England. And he's still, so we're trying to get Nick down for a camp next summer. If, if he doesn't make, if he doesn't make it to the NBA championship again. <laughs> but, wow. So like, you know, and then Nick, and then Nick like drafted me to the D league when I came out of high school, which is crazy. Like, <laughs> like it literally comes back full circle like that. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to get things wrong, but I would love to get like coordinate with you guys. Absolutely. I'm getting you guys down. I mean, listen, you guys will love it. One, the beat one, the seaside by the beach, Worthing, Brighton. Google that. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, everybody knows um, the camps I've gone and run. They, they ain't on the beach. So Google Brighton Beach Courts. Yeah, I mean, beautiful. Brighton Beach. I mean, it's literally amazing. I mean, it's beautiful. Beautiful. People go down there, have vacation homes. That's where they stay all summer. But that's where we play. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're trying to develop our junior side. Um, because, you know, the pro side, you know how it is. You recruit guys. I know all the players. They don't have, I don't have to deal with agents. I don't want to yeah. mess with that. Then we get very good British home talent um, because, you know, we work on a budget. Like, I bring a sponsor. So that's what I'm doing now. So it's like – There's like so many good British job. kids coming over now, too, that are coming to school. Jabril Bello this year was phenomenal up at Montana yeah, State. Sam Keita is going to yeah. be great. There's, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keita's yeah, Keita's my guy up at Casper. You know, like he's, you, you know, know. There, there's all these guys. Hey, Alex, real quick, if you don't mind, man, before we get off, uh, as a as a fellow player and a fellow pro, and we were obviously talking off air. Um, you know, it, it's it's crazy, man, because we have so many stories. Uh, athletes have so many stories, and you hear the shut up and dribble stuff a lot recently. You know, shut up and dribble. Dude, like the, the amount of stories I tell Brandon and Nick, like I have Serbians and Croatians on my teams and the stuff I learned while I was overseas and so many things and hearing your story, man, like it just it just hits home where like it's shaped my life. It, like the culture and the understanding of so many different parts of the world has, has helped me be a better human, a better friend, a better teacher to all my Vilianka Hoops kids. Like – Mm. And, and hearing your story, man, it's just like it takes you to a place where it's like, wow, like we have so much to give to the world. And you hear people are like, oh, he's a dumb athlete or whatever. Like, 
dude, you were at Georgetown. I was at William and Mary. Like these are the best yeah. educations in the world. And it's like, oh, you're an athlete. Shut up. It's like, yeah. man, like we're just as smart as anybody else, but we happen to play basketball yeah. and we have such a bigger outreach than you do. So you're upset. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, yeah. it, it just, you telling that story, man, it's like me hearing of my Croatian and Serbian teammates when I was in Denmark telling about how they had to run to practice with bombs being dropped and they didn't Ooh. know if they'd see their teammate again. You know, and, and like people that, oh yeah, Trader Joe's, oh, hi V, wasn't open today. <laughs> and it's like, like you, you have no idea the stories and the lives of so many people. And it's just, I, I truly appreciate you coming on and, and to hear your voice and saying that, like, again, people will watch the, the video on YouTube of us. I just couldn't, I, I was, I, I was taken to another world. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you coming on and telling the story, my man, because we're, we're, we're teammates, you know, in a different, yeah. in a different, on a different team, but on the same team. And, uh, it, it, it means a lot to, for you to come on and share this. I know how deep I mean, gosh, for as busy as you are, all the things you have going oh. on, the fact that you gave us this time today. I mean, honestly, like, I'm just, I'm so grateful, man. And, and again, like, the time, man reading that book and, and again the like thomas was talking about different life experiences and stuff like i'm the, i'm a different person because of some of the things i've been fortunate enough to go do yeah you know and and i just love the fact that you have taken your platform you have you have all these amazing things going on and the thing that you talked about before and then just now that you're going back to that you enjoy the most is working with these kids kids like <laughs> like that's the that's the bit yeah. that brings you joy yeah. Right. And and all this other stuff you could be doing with, you know, the the the, the platform that you ha- now have and to give it back to kids and to to help kids. And, and now they're going to hear your stories. And and again, I mean, this was this was this was uh, this was special uh, today. So thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Man. I really appreciate it. You know, I mean, you know, um, you know, I'm excited for like the future as far as like with the book. Because now that I like I'm back home in the states, um, you know I've always wanted to like go to like different universities, like do a college tour and just talk to kids about it. And um, you know that's something I wasn't able I was able to do that in England, but it was like I wanted to talk to like the like the top athletes. So it's like I, you know I want to go to colleges. I'm trying to sit there and go to colleges and like talk to the kids and like these kids like that want to go overseas is you know everybody's not going to be able to play basketball after college it's like very hard people don't understand it's very hard mm-hmm. and um i just want to let them know what they're getting into because a lot of these coaches maybe some plays now they're more overseas assistant co- assistant coaches that played overseas when before i was playing than when right. i was playing but they like but some of these kids don't know like they really don't know that they might not get paid like their money's gonna come two three weeks later. Yep. Mm. Well, and I their think it's so important not for gonna them. Be working. Yeah, and it's so important <laughs> for them to hear though as well. The things that you have going have nothing to do with your ability to put a ball through a hoop. Oh my god! You know, like that was amazing. That was a ball set right there. Like to for for you to be able to have an impact on the world that you're having now is more so than you ever could have done while being on a basketball court. Like, and that's what I think a lot of the kids need to hear is yeah. like, hey, if you're at, you know, such and such D1 school and you're doing this and that and whatever. And like, you know what? At some point, the ball is going to stop bouncing. It's going to stop bouncing. And and how you decide to live your life and how you decide to 
um, leave an impact on this planet is really up to you. Mm -hmm. You know, like you don't have to be working with middle school kids. Like you have so many other things you could be doing, but for you, like working with these middle school kids, telling your story, uh, uh, you know, mentoring them, working with them, all the things that you do with these kids, like you're, you're having such an impact on them that then they will go out and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what kids that are in a position of call it what it is, a position of power when you're a high yeah. level athlete like that, like mm-hmm. you have a, you have an ability to really turn up the impact and you have a responsibility too. yeah, I think to do it because there's no athlete that ever got to where they got to by themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, that is true. Um, yeah, that is true. Alex, so, you, true. you said the one thing Brandon would be done. You said uh, when you're on that roof. uh God, why, why, why am I here? What did I do to deserve this? Right, something, yeah. something along those lines. And it was, hey, this is why. You know, yep. you, you're going to go speak at university soon. Your name's going to be even exactly. bigger now. And it's like you change one person's life. And I've noticed that with my 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 brand. You change one person's life, it changes thousands. And that's you what you're doing, one. man. You just need one. It's yep. unbelievable. Yep. That's why yeah. God put you up there. Thank you guys, man. Thomas, Nick, Brandon, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate it. But listen, I'm happy if you guys want to have me come on. Um, but please stay in touch, man. Please. Yeah. Stay hey, in touch. we're gonna be we're gonna be doing the camp with you. Trust me. We yeah. that's how we roll. Please, yeah. <laughs> please, because no. we yeah, because we have a big. I mean, we have a huge that whole just that seaside of um, of England. We literally have those kids. Like it's like five or six hundred kids we have in our program. I grew up in Thetford, and, um, Norfolk, so I got to get back. Yeah. <laughs> I was born in the U.S., but I spent a long time overseas, and I've not been back since I moved to the U.S. So. Wow, and um, yeah, that's crazy. Sure. And, um, you know, kids, like, they just want to see, like, somebody different. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, they know me. They're like, oh, he's great, he's amazing. You know, he can drop dirty, he's shooting from half court. He's, yeah. But it's like, when you bring, like, so, hey, man, we got this other person coming. They're like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, they could be like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm trying to work on them. You know, I don't know if you, know, you guys know Jordan Lloyd. He played on the Toronto Raptors team. Yeah. He's the guy that was in the suit that was kneeling down. Yeah. So he's he's a, playing in Valencia now. Um, but he's like, yep. I, I trained him back up in Atlanta, right? So I'm trying to bring him into a camp. Like I haven't, you know, we're trying to work out the details and when the season going to start. But you know, I just want to keep bringing in players. We were talking to Jordan Lloyd's dad summer. last summer about how to oh, yeah, something yeah, on yeah, down in Atlanta. So. Yeah, you should come down here. Yeah, he's come down. His dad's a good. His dad put a lot of work with him, man. His dad yeah. put a lot of work. His AAU coach is my good friend, John Cross, okay. my real good friend. Um, but you know, Jordan's story is incredible, also. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. he's incredible, also. He might, he's been through a lot, but he's doing. You know, they just started off the season back in Spain. They're in a the tournament now. Um, but you know, but listen, I appreciate you guys. No, thank so, you, man. Yeah. Thank you, seriously. Thank you. And thank I'll uh, I'll shoot you I'll shoot you a message here, and we'll we'll make sure we uh, connect and stay in touch. And... I appreciate you guys. Stay safe, man. All right, bro. Thanks. Be you. good. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.